Good afternoon. Well, thank you so much for the, the presentation so far. They've been really great. And um, I just want to uh, introduce myself. I'm David Kessler with Legisum. I have here with me Bob Celeste from the Center for Supply Chain Studies. Um, we're going to talk a little bit uh, today um, about what we're doing with the Open Credentialing Initiative. So we've already heard a lot about trust, interoperability, standards, a number of things like that have already been brought up. And so we want to share how we're using uh, verifiable credentials to close the gap in some of the DSCSA compliance requirements. Um, we started off by um, working through some, some pilots, um, and then now we've taken that into some other innovations and working through now um, implementing a production level solution. So, give you a little background today on uh, OCI, what that, what is that, that about? Um, also, um, Bob's going to speak to us on the DSCSA requirements and some of the gaps there, and then I'll come back and talk to you a little bit more about establishing uh, trust. So, in OCI, um, we are a uh, an open credentialing initiative, uh, basically an ecosystem supporting the pharmaceutical industry. Um, around the DSA requirements uh, kicking in in November of 2023. Um, and we do have a uh, number of industry partners, trading partner solution providers uh, that are participating um, in the initiative. So from a OCI standpoint, um, there are a number of things that we're addressing uh, by asking the members of OCI to basically adopt the standards, the architecture, the, gui uh, the guidelines, the framework that we're establishing. Um, we want them to sign a, a charter, to agree to, to what we're um, about, and then um, we hope that that then produces these things, right? Um, well, and let me just define something real quick. Uh, I'll talk on later. Uh, ATP stands for Authorized Trading Partner, and we'll talk about what, what that entails in a, in a few more slides. But basically, the interoperability and trust and the efficiency, due diligence, um, all these things, the standardization, security, um, those things are all part of this ecosystem that, that we've developed um, and, again, have the adoption of, of a number of people in the industry. So what does OCI do specifically? So um, the industry-wide adoption of these credentialing uh, solutions, um, behind that we've defined a conformance criteria, so all the policies and, and procedures and things that go in to making sure that we're able to sustain um, the environment. Um, we've talked about the interoperability, how do these things get exchanged, uh, what are the rules around exchanging those, so utilizing um, that, what does that framework look like, what are the guidelines look like of the architecture. Um, and then we've adopted um, open standards, ones that from GS1, W3C, DIF. Um, we, we actually have on the roadmap to, to talk to uh, like a Maria from IEEE. So um, as part of that, we want to also get adoption, uh, adoption from all of our stakeholders. So I mentioned earlier that, that we've got you know, solution providers, but we also have in, in OCI manufacturers, uh, we have wholesalers, we have uh, retailers, and so getting those stakeholders together to agree on what we're driving towards in these solutions is, is paramount. Um, so um, a few things that maybe you can come, for the sake of time, I'm going to run through this fairly quickly, but um, one thing that you can go check out is our, our website, oc-i.org. 
um, and our GitHub uh, page where we're actually taking the information that we're building and publishing it out there for everyone to see. So if you want to see how we're applying those standards, what the schemas look like, all those things, um, the um, conformance criteria, they're all documented and, and published on uh, the, the Open Credential Initiatives GitHub site. So as part of the, the OCI structure, um, we want to be able to manage all this, the change requests, um, the process. And so to do that, we've set up this structure. So there in the top, you'll see the DSCSA program. And to the right of that, the, uh, the work groups that are a part of it, right? We have a steering committee. We have a policy and architecture uh, committee. Um, and so we work through these things on a weekly basis, developing what those standards look like and, and the, the um, documentation on it. It then gets rolled up through a steering committee. And if all approved, then it gets uh, documented on our GitHub site. And everyone has agreed to you know, adhere to that information, those policies. We also have additional initiatives out there. We have working right now in one of our innovation groups, um, a KYC, KYS, know your customer, know your supplier. And so um, how can we you know, apply credentialing and some of the things that OCI brings to the table into that KYC, KYS uh, environment? We also have open calls where we want to align with industry. They might not be members yet um, of OCI, but we want to encourage them to do so. We want to hear their feedback. Uh, and so we have those uh, calls that happen um, a couple times a, a month in order uh, to do that. And, and absolutely, you can go to the website and, and you know join these groups. Uh, it's free to join, free to participate. So we encourage you, uh, if you have some interest in that, to see how we're uh, doing uh, with the verifiable credentials. So um, one other thing to, to mention is there is a lot of documentation out there. We've been at this for about two and a half years now, again, rolling out of a pilot, moving it now into a production system so you can imagine how much information has to be gathered and then available to everyone that wants to use it. Um, and so there's a few different ways you can see it. Uh, one of the ways you can see it is, is here on this, this uh, uh, list that's on our website. Um, and you can see the, the resources, the, the questions, the technical docs, um, all those things are here and available uh, for you to, to look at and, and provide feedback on. So there's a few other things that we're going to talk about. Um, I'm going to have Bob come and, and uh, address some of the things about the DSCSA. So in, in two and a half years, we stood up an organization, developed a governance around that, and uh, developed specifications that the U.S. pharmaceutical industry could utilize verifiable credentials and decentralized identifiers uh, in the U.S. pharmaceutical supply chain. So, so why did we do that? In and around the late 1990s, it was found that uh, drug cartels realized it was cheaper to, than, rather than bringing heroin into the country, it was cheaper to uh, counterfeit uh, pharmaceuticals in the U.S. Uh, uh, supply chain and, uh, and it was also less uh, risky. The, the, um, the, the jail se sentences for, for counterfeit at that time were a few years. So it really wasn't that big of a, big of a deal. And they already had a supply chain of, of dealers in the US, so they were able to move counterfeit product through the US. Uh, I would say that in and around the mid-2000s, uh, Alibaba also helped by making this kind of a cottage industry, by being, making it easy to buy pill presses and also certain dyes that 
just so happened to match the dyes of the most counterfeit products in the US, um, things like Viagra and Cialis and things like that. So it became a, it, counterfeiting became a cottage industry at that point. Uh, so we've been working with the, the uh, FDA, state boards of pharmacy, and the industry since 2003 or so around being able to trace products through, through the drug supply chain. Uh, up until 2013, this was actually done by state. So we had 50 different regulations that were being developed around how to track and identify products in the U.S. supply chain. Right around 2012 or so, the industry lobbied Congress to say, we need a national standard. We can't deal with 50 different ways of doing this. And so uh, in 2013, President Obama signed the Drug Supply Chain Security Act. And that, outlet, that laid out a 10-year uh, pattern of things that had to be implemented by, by the uh, different parts of the industry, manufacturers, wholesalers, and dispensers, which are either hospitals or, or retail pharmacies. And so it starts with serializing product uh, in 20, the early 2000s or so. A bottle of pharmaceutical products was identified just like you see items in the grocery store. The G10 or the National Drug Code identified what that was, but you couldn't differentiate between two bottles. So if I emptied the bottle or, or copied your bottle, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between mine and yours. And so in this part of this, this work was around serializing every single bottle, every saleable unit in the supply chain. That's helpful, but we also need to be able to tra track those, those, uh, those drugs. You see this timeline. There are two other areas I, I will, I'll point out. One is product verification. I think Corey talked before about the VRS system, a way of being able to verify a product. So you, you scan the product. Now you have a serial number. You can verify that product with the, with the manufacturer. Today, it's only wholesalers that do that when they have a product that's returned to them. In 2013, actually, one of the things that took place besides COVID was that the FDA moved some of these dates. So a lot happens next November. Uh, in 2013, anyone in the supply chain should be able to verify a product with the manufacturer. They could scan the product and should be able to verify that those items, the identifiers for those items, um, were actually produced by the manufacturer. Also in 2013, anybody in the supply chain can ask anyone else in the supply chain whether they've ever had the drug and where they got it from and who they sold it to. So tracing, being able to link together a number of those asks to trace the product either back to the manufacturer or repackager or forward to where it is in the supply chain. So there's some issues here with this. Uh, we didn't realize in the beginning when we looked at the, the Drug Supply Chain Security Act that we were going to bump up against this. And I didn't realize that I would have to know David uh, until about uh, two years ago. So some of the gaps in this, in, in being able to track a product the way we're doing it. And I'll make mention to this. Over the past 20 years, the industry has rejected a centralized system such as the one that was put in Europe. They rejected a blockchain one also because they couldn't agree on which blockchain. And at that time, we weren't able to move between, between blockchains. But we do use blockchains for some, some very specific areas. Um, so a normal relationship between trading partners is what you see on, on the left. You establish that relationship. You do, do cer certain due diligence to, so that you understand the identity 
of the person that, of the company that you're either purchasing from or or selling to. Uh, and then you also, within the U.S. pharmaceutical supply chain, you need to determine whether they're an authorized trading partner. In other words, do they have a state board license or are they registered with the FDA? When we're looking at 2023, when anyone in the supply chain, and so we're talking about you know, maybe a thousand manufacturers, maybe a thousand or so, but we have of wholesalers, we have three major wholesalers, and then we have about 64, depending on who was estimating this, 64 to 74,000 dispensers in the country. Any of those can ask any one of the others for tracking data on, on a product. And so what we have here is a different kind of area where uh, we have ad, ad hoc relationships forming. In other words, if I ask you for information about a product, you're first going to want to know who I am and, and verify my identity. And then you're going to want to know whether I'm a legitimate uh, partner in the supply chain. So that's, that's the gap that we have is that we're no longer just talking about the trade relationships that we build, but are relationships in this very, very decentralized network. <clears throat> I'll, I'll skip over that. So, so what we've done in working with the pharmaceutical supply chain is on, on the right side, the top part of that right side is that VRS system that, that Corey was talking about, of how trading partners actually ask for information from each other. Uh, today, it's, it's, it's a small group of companies. They know each other. It's the major manufacturers uh, in interacting with the, with the, uh, the major uh, wholesalers. As I said, in November 27 of 2023, next year, it's going to be anyone in the supply chain can verify. And so a lot of these relationships haven't been built. The manufacturers don't know everybody at the other end of the supply chain, and vice versa. Um, is the dispensers don't know the, who the manufacturers are in an electronic interaction. I don't know if you've ever seen this, this comic. It's two dogs talking to each other. One's on a computer, and the one on a computer says to the other, you know, on the Internet, no one knows you're a dog. Well, on the Internet, no one knows whether you really are a manufacturer, a wholesaler, a dispenser, or a counterfeiter. So what we put in place is to use W3C standard uh, verifiable credentials and decentralized identifiers. And we were able to marry that to an existing process in the supply chain, the verifiable, the, uh, the VRS, the verified uh, routing system. And we're also going to be using this for tracing. So when you ask for a trace request, or you ask for information from somebody else in the supply chain, you provide that credential. They're able to verify whether that credential was issued by a, by a, a verified issuer whether you've actually signed the use of that credential for that particular item, uh, and they're able to verify that you also have uh, the authorized trading status. In other words, you've got the license or the registration with the FDA that allows you to be, be known as an authorized trading partner within the U.S. supply chain. So we've married this technology to existing processes. So I think we're... One of the areas that, so the technology actually turned out to be not that hard to do. Uh, you know, W3C standards are out there. We worked with them. We worked with the existing processes, the technology. But the issue really was around establishing trust in a supply chain. So now I'm a huge manufacturer. I'm going to get messages coming in asking for information. I don't really like to share information. I certainly don't share it with someone that might be a counterfeiter. And so how do we work this trust out? And so this is where 
the work that uh, David and David's company has done in working with through the OCI effort really has helped connect that trust establishment with the technology. So maybe David, you can yeah. tell us how that works. Thanks. <laughs> so we've heard for years, and it still holds true, right? We, in fact, it was referenced earlier, you bad data in, bad data out. Um, good data in, hopefully we have good processes and we have good data out. So um, as Bob was saying, now we've had to layer in this, this whole idea of trust on top of that good data, right? And so we know we have to establish not only the processes around issuing the credential, but can we trust the credential and can we trust the credential issuer? Um, so from, a, from our business legislum, um, we came out of the controlled substance space, validating DEA transactions, um, and we collected a lot of state level um, information. And so there was a lot of stuff that we were already doing in that kind of validation process. So it was a, a really easy transition to get into what does it look like to establish trust and can, can the industry trust us as, a, as an issuer, right? And how would they trust someone else also as an issuer? And so we started to put those things also into our OCI framework so that we can say, these are our conformance criteria over what an issuer has to do. Or another role would be, say, the digital wallet that holds um, that verifiable credential, what their responsibilities are. Um, and then who says they're actually doing that? Do we know that that issue is actually doing, issuer is actually doing what they say they're doing? So we have additional um, criteria, conformance program criteria that says this is what has to happen. And there should be a third-party audit that comes in and makes sure that they're actually doing that. So um, these are some of the things that we put into the process to make sure that that trust is established. Um, so Bob covered a lot of this. I just, I just want to reiterate it a little bit. Uh, he talked about how authorized trading partners become authorized, right? how trading partners actually get that authorization. And so there are some different rules. Um, if you're a manufacturer versus a wholesaler versus, say, a retail uh, dispenser, um, what does that look like to prove authorized trading partner status? Um, but that's what we're making sure is not only that these are trading partners in the industry, but they're author also authorized per the DSCSA regulations. Um, again, um, see if that comes up. All right. So. Today, as Bob said, um, there's some lack of proof between these indirect relationships um, whether or not they have authorized trading partner status because they don't know the other company. Um, and so um, as we looked at that, we knew there were some challenges for these trading partners, right? They have some response times now in November of 2023 that they have to live up to. We know there's well over 60,000 indirect trading partner relationships out there. Um, we know that there is not a industry solution in place. And so um, as we started doing this, knowing that it will have to be an electronic system, knowing that it will have to be an interoperable um, system so that all players can, can utilize it, um, we, we kept that in mind as we were going from kind of the pilot phase into this um, OCI uh, process and framework around that. Um, there is some uh, an existing solution um, in the... Um, GLN usage, um, but there's some problems with that. So um, just to kind of point those out, that we're not, so manufacturers can't always um, discover um, the information around the GLNs, right? And so that becomes um, a problem. Um, they don't necessarily prove anything about authorized trading partners, that, uh, 
process, uh, authorized trading partner uh, authorization. So that is another problem. And then finally, um, how was that GLN um, received? How did, how did they get it? What process did they go through? Was there any uh, due diligence behind it? So these are some of the things that we're, we were wrestling with in the existing solution, trying to apply it to um, authorized trading partner. So now that we've identify those and we were able to start to piece together how verifiable credentials can solve for that, um, we were able to say, okay, these indirect trading partners could absolutely prove um, that one and the other were both authorized trading partners. Problem is, oh, sorry, I'm one, one slide behind. So let me just explain a little bit about how the, the solution gets, gets implemented. So. Down there at the bottom layer, layer we see there the, the VRS um, application that was referenced a few times earlier. Um, so in order for the wholesaler, the dispenser, the manufacturer to utilize verifiable credentials in um, this VRS exchange, we had to be sure that um, there is the credential issuer in place to issue those. So there's an onboarding process um, that's involved in, in being able to um, get those verifiable credentials issued. Um, I think everyone is familiar in this room with, with what verifiable credentials are, um, but just to make sure we understand why they're needed, again, we need to make sure that they are who they say they are and that there are claims that could be made in reference to that trading partner. So the example we've been using is authorized trading partner. So as Bob said, he didn't know he was going to have to work with me a few years ago. Um, and the reason we didn't know that is we were very much focused in these pilots on authorized trading partner, right? So does the manufacturer have the registration? Does the retailer have the right board of pharmacy license? But as we backed it up, we, we quickly found out that we also needed to prove identity. So we separated those two factors from each other. So we came up with a process to first get the identity credential issued and then use that identity credential um, to now link to the ATP credential, right? And so um, that trust that we've been all talking about, that starts when that identity credential is issued because now we can absolutely say that this person, this company, the entity that I'm exchanging information with is who they say they are. Oh, and now they also have an ATP credential so they can move forward with utilizing that ATP credential in that VRS exchange and response process. So, as we wrestled with identity, we came up with some things that we said, this seems like a reasonable approach to prove somebody's identity. But why would you assume that our approach was any better than anybody else's? And so we looked out there for standards that might be available that we could apply to what we were doing. So one of the things that very quickly stood out to us was from NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. And they have a categorization of three different levels of assurance for proving identity. And so what we landed on was a level two assurance, an IAL2 assurance level. And so what that meant was we're at the same level that, say, the DEA utilizes in order to allow parties to exchange um, narcotics, right, Schedule II drugs. And so we felt like 
that was a good application, a good comparison to um, what we're trying to do here to prove identity and authorize trading partner status. And so then we had to come up with some methods that would allow us to get to a, an IAL level two assurance. Um, and you'll see here, these are a couple, there's others that were out there, they're, they're documented in that conformance criteria uh, that I referenced earlier, but a couple of them out there is the DEA signing certificate, it has expiration, revocation, um, assurance uh, between the vetting that the DEA does, and so it was a very good way uh, to handle identity proving. Um, and the, another way would be um, corporate documents, right, things that only the party that wants to claim who they are would have access to. And so we have processes and procedures in place, due diligence in place, that would prove to that level of assurance. So again, what are we trying to do from an identity standpoint? The legitimacy of the organization. We know that we're talking to the right person, the right company. Um, linking that representative to that company, if everything's good, we can issue um, the identity credential. And then the same thing has to happen from an onboarding of a, an ATP credential, right? So we know who they are, now we're moving to proving their authorized trading partner status. And in such, we can use that identity credential to match it up against the information that we're collecting about, say, their State Board of Pharmacy license. And again, looking at, okay, this license is good, this FDA registration is good, um, we know they have ownership over this license, they are who they say they are because of the identity credential, and therefore we can go ahead and, and issue the ATP credential and allow it to work in the, in the environment and the ecosystem. So this is the work we've done over the last couple years. Um, it's ongoing, we're bringing in other use cases. Um, again, some of those innovation calls and things, we would love for anybody who wants to participate. Um, another shameless plug for oc-i.org. You can go find a lot of information that I presented here today. Um, Bob's uh, the best source of, of information as well, uh, more so than I. He has a better understanding of how everything uh, works and, and operates together, but we'd be happy to take... Uh, do, I have any, do we have any time left? We have a couple minutes? If anyone has any questions, we'll be happy to take it or we can uh, finish up early. It's up to you guys. All right, silence. Everyone got everything I said. Perfect. Thank you all so much. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.